Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that that song is the echo of our heart, that you would truly be the lover of our souls, and that we would truly long to live for you. Lord, we pray to that end as we come to your word now. Jesus, thank you. The scriptures read, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Scriptures say a lot about our desires. Scriptures speak a lot about covetousness and possessions. Even in the days of ancient Israel, the Lord repeatedly warned his people against covetousness, loving the things that the nations had, or wanting more than their daily needs. We think of Israel wandering in the wilderness when they were grumbling against the Lord who had just delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh and, and, and slavery. And they were grumbling for, for food, and the Lord sent them manna. And the Lord told them that each of you shall take an omer according to the number of persons that is each is in your house or in your tent. You're to gather each morning. I'll have manna for you. And you're to, to measure out a portion according to your household size. And, and some would go out and some would gather little because they only had a couple of people in their home. And others gathered much because they had many in their home. But neither lacked. The Lord told them, do not gather more than you can eat. But we read in Exodus 16, but they did not listen. Some left part until the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. What a translation. And Moses was angry with them. We think of Jerusalem, or, or Israel, going to take over Jericho. And the Lord uh, has, has shown his faithfulness as they, they, they march around the city and they blow the trumpets and the walls fall down. But the Lord says, as I deliver this people into your hands, do not take any of the devoted things, meaning the, the silver, the gold, the, the precious items. But we read of one man who led his household to take those things, Achan. We think of when Israel was established and the Lord uh, uh, placed in the kingship and often told the kings not to count their horses, not to count the numbers of their armies. We come to, to Solomon. When did the downfall of Solomon's kingdom come? When he acquired more horses from Egypt because he saw the horses of the other nations and he thought he needed more 
In each of these cases, the Lord's urged His people to trust Him, to meet their needs, to be their protector, to be their victor. And today, like Israel, we are bombarded by false idols eyeing our desires, appealing to us, the false idols of possessions. In fact, we live in a culture that values accumulation. We see it in everything we, we watch on TV. We see it on, on the, the radio spots. Uh, and when we're, we're walking around, um, everything is an advertisement saying, you need me. You need this. We've couched it as a virtue. And it's packaged with quotes and says it's called the American dream. But Jesus has another term for it. He calls it barn building. Where one believes they can have ample goods laid up for many years so that they may relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says to such a one, he says, you're a fool for laying up treasures for yourself and are not rich toward God. Instead, our Lord exhorts us to lay up treasure in heaven. To use our possessions to make friends for eternity, Jesus will say. Paul warns that the, to the rich in this present age not to place your trust in the uncertainty of riches, but to be rich in good deeds. See, when we look at the Scriptures, and particularly as the Scriptures talk to us about our possessions, the scriptures correlate a relationship with how we view our possessions in one hand and how we love God and others in the other. See, the scriptures repeatedly teach us that if we love riches, if we love our possessions, our love for God and our love for others will grow cold. But... If we love God and others, we'll view our possessions as a means to express that love. You see the inverse in that relationship? And so in this way, when we view our possessions as a means of expressing our love of God and love of others, in that moment, when we have that ratio right, that perspective correct, we are like Jesus who left his heavenly throne above, who left his glorious splendor, and he sought out sinners, who used his means as a means to rescue others. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For us to view our possessions in this light, and that is difficult for all of us, and I'm, I'm, I am talking to myself as much as I am talking to all of us. For us to view our possessions in that light, we must come to understand what Proverbs teaches us, the wisdom of contentment. What is contentment? What is that? It means to be satisfied. To be satisfied with what the Lord has provided us in finding our joy ultimately in Him. So contentment is being satisfied with what the Lord has provided us 
in finding our ultimate joy in the Lord. So this morning, we're going to study a prayer. And if you haven't already turned there, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. And we're going to study a prayer for contentment. And the question for us, the question that I want to pose for us this morning is how do we come to a place where we can pray this prayer? Because I would venture to guess we don't pray like this. I would venture to guess usually we pray, Lord, give me more. Lord, I want this. May I please have it. Lord, oh, if it would be your will that I could have more experiences like this. Could I have this dream job? Could I, could I, could I, could I, could I? But look at what this individual writes. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Just two things I ask of you, Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What a prayer. What a prayer. Lord, I just have two requests of you. And, and as we're going to see, these, these two requests are intricately connected. Lord, I do not want to live a life that is false. I want to live a genuine and true life. And so, Lord, I ask, do not give me poverty. But Lord, I also ask you, do not give me riches. Well, what does this mean? That's what our task is this morning. We're going to use this prayer as a launching pad to survey what Proverbs says about possessions because this this prayer comes at the end of Proverbs and, and is kind of reflecting on all that Proverbs has written about possessions. And he's now praying, reflecting on these truths. And so that's what I want us to do. I want us to kind of survey what Proverbs has to say about how we think of our our material possessions, how we think about riches, how we think about poverty, so that we, by the end of this morning, and my prayer is that we wrestle with these things throughout the week, we would start praying like this. We'd be praying, Lord, give me the wisdom of contentment. So what does it look like to understand contentment. Here's my three points this morning if you're a note taker. We're going to see that the one who has learned contentment, number one, guards against the deceitfulness of riches. Guards against the deceitfulness of riches. Number two, avoids the trap of poverty. And number three, seeks complete dependence upon the Lord. So here's these points again. Number one, guards against the deceitfulness of riches. Number two, avoids the trap of poverty. And number three, seeks complete dependence upon the Lord. 
Let's look at this prayer and consider this first point. True contentment, when we understand the wisdom of contentment, it will guard us from the deceitfulness of riches. It will guard us from being deceived by the the false promise that the world offers you. If you have riches, you'll be happy. If you have riches, all your problems will be washed away. Notice this prayer against riches. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And he says, feed me, Lord, with the food that is needful for me. Why? Why is is this individual praying in such a way? Do not give me excess. Why? Because he doesn't want to be full and deny the Lord. He doesn't want to have so much accumulation. He says, I don't, I don't need you, Lord. He would live a life that is false and says, I don't know who the Lord is. My needs are all taken care of. I never have to turn to the Lord. I never worry. I never have to uh, come to him and, and ask him to meet my daily bread. And we live a life of independence. Riches can deceive us into living a lie. That's what we learn in Proverbs. And actually throughout the scriptures, Paul picks that up as Jamin read, instruct the rich in this present world not to place their trust in the uncertainty. There's that. It's uncertain. Riches are are temporary. They're, They're not sure. They're not a solid rock. But yet the world tells us, yes, it is. And it deceives us. And when we're deceived, we can live a lie through our life, through our actions, through our prayerlessness that, that, that seems to communicate that we do not need the Lord. Yes, uh, an abundance of riches can make life easier, can it, right? I mean, all of us joke, you know, oh, if I could win the Powerball, oh, and we even, I think even with holy, righteous intentions, we would say, oh, the good I would do. Yeah. But we think, you know what? I would have it made. I'm a big college basketball fan. It's a big week in college basketball. And I, I was listening as the commentators are talking about players, and they're talking about uh, individuals going pro here in just a few months, and they say, oh, how their pockets will be lined. How, how in just a few more weeks these guys will have it made. It's how we, how we view the world. And the temptation will come that we will not depend on the Lord for our every need. Money money can deceive us into believing that we're actually self-sufficient. Yet Proverbs tells us, guard from such a deception. And so if you've got your Bibles, and and truly, um, Pastor Gary said it the other day, hey, click on your Bibles. This would be a time where actually having a Bible will be easier because we're going to flip around a lot. Okay? We're going to look at at what does Proverbs say about riches. And and, and first of all, riches may give the appearance of, say, having many friends, Proverbs will talk about, but it cannot buy true companionship and love. I want you to see this. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 14. 
Proverbs 14, verse 20. And this is genuinely true. These are, those are general axioms. These are uh, uh, realities we could see in everyday life. Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor. Why? Because he's got nothing to offer him, right? He's got nothing. But the rich, they have many friends. You see that? It looks like it on, when you're watching TV, watching the news. It looks like the rich, they have many friends. Many. See it again in chapter 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends. But a poor man is deserted by his friend. You see that in, in, in those horrific stories of lotto winners, right? They find out they have family members they've never met. You hear the same tragic things when, when these sports players enter into professional and they get the big bucks. Oh man, how the numbers come. And you know what? When they end up bankrupt, oh how the friends are gone. Oh how they're gone. So it may present a, a facade. Riches can, can look like, oh, I have so many friends. But Proverbs reminds us in, in 15, 17, that riches cannot buy true companionship. Look, look there. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. There are things better than money, and we're going to see that. Oh, it would be better to have a, a plate of herbs or, or, or just a bowl of rice around a table of true friends than to eat Ruth's Chris steak and you and your wife are at odds. There are better things. And riches cannot provide true companionship. But yet the world seems to convince us it, it will. Riches may bring temporary strength and security. Look at chapter 10, verse 15. And there's certainly truth to this. Chapter 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is the ruin. And here, here's the picture. You got money. You can kind of cover up more troubles than the poor person can. Right? I, I think of... Uh, you know, kind of two examples. One, uh, we're going to take a team down to Haiti. You'll see this, uh, those of you who are going. There are, are, are these influential political leaders who come from France and, and, and in the city. They, they have it all covered. All their needs are covered, and they're in this third world country, and they're living it quite nicely. But the poor who have nothing, oh, their ruin is compounded. You see it even today. When, when you think of, of, of those of us who, who are affluent and, and we're able to, to provide when, when health issues strike, oh, when, when maybe there has been a, a suppression in the economy, you know, it doesn't affect you maybe as much as, as a person who doesn't have as much. That's, that's, that's typically true. Uh, riches can, can kind of uh, cushion the blow when trouble comes. But, Proverbs also reminds us that riches are fleeting. Flip over to chapter 23. 
This is Bible Drill Sunday, if you didn't know that. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Actually, we could jump. Yeah, we'll just start verse 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Now, I've never had a dollar bill do that, except maybe blowing in the wind. But here's, here's the point. Those who, who are so enamored with riches, oh, if I could just have it, and they have given their life to pursue that, it is as if they are pursuing something they will never catch. They will never catch it. 27, verse 24. Riches do not last forever. They do not last forever. And the one who trusts in them will come to ruin. Why does trusting in riches bring ruin? Why is the scripture continually exhorting us? And by the way, I would put most of us in that category. As, as the rich category. Now, I, there, there is a, a, a kind of a, a, a scale, economic scale. But most of us this morning did not give a second thought about what we were going to eat. Or what we are going to wear. Most of us aren't worrying about our needs being met. We're in the category of the rich, just so you know. Well, why does trusting in that bring ruin? Because it breeds covetousness. Look at verse, uh, you're in chapter 27, look in verse 20. Sheol and Abaddon, these are the abodes of the dead. Everybody dies, it always eats up more. Okay, that's the picture. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. Never. They keep on taking dead people. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. When we pursue riches as an end in of themselves, Proverbs says we'll never be satisfied and it'll breed covetousness and when covetousness begins to overtake your soul overtake your desires that controls your mind as paul says the love of money leads to all sorts of evil right people will murder for more money they'll 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 make bribes for more money Proverbs speaks of, of bribing people. It'll cause people to oppress the poor, to pad their own pockets. Look at chapter 22, verse 16. It says, Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. We'll kind of come back to that. But there's ruin here of those who take advantage of the disadvantaged to accumulate more. They use people. They don't love people. It's the exact opposite. That's that principle I was talking about. If you love possessions, your love for God and others grows cold. But if you love God and others, you'll now view your possessions as a mean to serve and express that love. It's exactly the opposite for those who love riches. 
And what we're also going to see is you don't have to be rich to love riches. Poor people love riches, right? And really, this, is, this isn't about, well, okay, what classifies being rich and making too much money? Or where, where, what classifies being poor? No, this is all a matter of the heart. What do you love? Yeah, some, of it are, some people are better at accumulating than others. But we're going to see that there's one, there is the same threat that can, can afflict both. John Rockefeller was it, at one point the richest man in the world. He was uh, the first American billionaire. And when asked, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he famously says, just a little bit more, right? Oh, oh if, I, if I just had a little bit more. That's what, what kept him going. And is this delusionment of money that, that, that kept the rich young ruler from seeing the riches of knowing Christ and led Jesus to make this statement, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle well, that's smaller than what I'm making right there. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This isn't about what your bank account balances. It's about what you love and what you pursue. And the person who loves riches, who pursues it too as their goal in life, it is impossible they will enter the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, if pursuing riches and accumulation is not a threat to yours and my soul, then the scriptures are false. And the temptation, especially hearing these type of sermons, is, well, that doesn't apply to me. You don't know what I deal with, Chase. No, but the Lord does. And he has spoken many, many times warnings to us about the about trusting the uncertainty of riches and the truth is that most of us in this room have way more than we need lord's gracious and yet oftentimes we're like john rockefeller oh if i could just have a little bit more then i'd be good right you ever thought that oh if i just had a little more so this mindset, your love of riches, why does that, why does, why do we read here this prayer, Lord, do not give me excess. Do not give me accumulation. Why does he pray that? Because he wants to depend on the Lord. He wants the Lord to be his treasure. And when we don't have that mindset, it keeps us from saying these words that Job said. I have treasured the words of God's mouth more than my portion of food. Do we think like that? Lord, I cherish these words more than my lunch today. I would rather, if I had a choice, I'll choose the Bible every time. I want to be there. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
This mindset, the deception of riches, keeps us from prayer and fasting. I mean, just really, all of us, why do you and I not pray? We don't need to. Right? Why, why do we not fast? Well, why would I? I'm hungry. I'll eat. In fact, I will get a supersized of everything, right? Some of you are like, no, I'm, I'm gluten-free and I'm, I'm watching my calories and I got a Fitbit. I used to. I broke it. But we don't even consider those things, right? Usually. Why do we not pray and fast? Because we don't need to. And oh, sometimes we say, oh, our accumulation is a blessing, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe it, it keeps us from depending upon the Lord. That's why the Scriptures talk about fasting. So that we don't deny the Lord. That we learn what it looks like to depend upon Him. His mindset keeps us from serving and, minister, and ministering to others. Why? Because we don't have time. I'm too busy making money. Really. Life is complicated. Have you ever noticed the more we have, the more complicated life gets? Now, this isn't every case, because there are many beloved people here on every economic scale who live these things out, but I would say more often than not, those who have less are usually the ones who serve more. It's like the, the woman who comes to Jesus and the Pharisees said, do you not know that this woman is a sinner? And he said, she loves much because she's forgiven much. There is something about the tensions of, of, of struggling in this life that makes you more sympathetic to others. Life becomes too sophisticated. Sometimes we're too, we're too sophisticated to wash feet. We want things all nice and clean and tidy because we deserve it. And you know what that, have, that does? That separates you from people. We need to think about that when we do our ministries too. Can't, could anybody, we talk about the apartments next door, we talk about our neighborhood, could they attend and feel welcome? Or would they say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm too poor to go to that church. How do we think about those things? The love of riches will cause us or keep us from humility and love. It can give us an entitlement to think that we're right. Our way's right. See, the proof's in the pudding. I've got it all together. My tr I, don't trouble, I don't have trouble like you because I did it right. And we, we fail to realize what do you have that you did not receive? Well, nothing. Well, then why do you act as if you did not receive it? Paul said. Each of us have, have benefits that were given to us, all of us. But yet, how our riches can deceive us into thinking we deserved it. Such an attitude will disparage those who aren't as together as we are, or at least as convinced as we've convinced ourselves that we are. And so we pray, Lord. Do you pray? Will you pray? But give me not riches, lest I be fool and deny you. Such contentment keeps us from 
the deception of riches and avoids now the trap of poverty. So we're kind of looking at the, the other side of the equation. Let's go back to the prayer. Notice that discontentment is also to a threat to the one who's poor. Notice how he, he prays. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So the first part of verse 9, lest I be full and die you, that's, that's the riches component. Or, now here's the poverty, lest I be poor and steal, profane the name of my God. Now what is not being said here is because you're poor you must be a thief. That's not the point. The point is, is that I would get to the place that even in my poverty, I don't trust you, Lord, so I'll take matters into my own hands and I will steal and I will cheat and I will lie. See how this is a, is a matter of a heart? It doesn't matter where you are on the economic scale. If you think you need more and you're not dependent upon the Lord, you will steal, you will cheat, you will bribe, you will oppress to get what you want. It's actually the same sin. This is why this is the wisdom of, of contentment. Both extremes can cause one to not be dependent upon the Lord. And, and the Proverbs shows us that living a life of discontentment actually can lead to poverty. So instead of working, and I'm not going to read all these verses, chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, instead of working, Greed can cause one to seek easy money. I'm not going to do the hard work. I'm not going to have a steady job. I'm going to seek easy money and pursue worthless things. I'm going to play the lottery over and over and over instead of just getting a job. And such pursuits will lead you to poverty. I've literally been in the line at the grocery store, not the grocery, the gas station, seen this numerous times where someone brings out their EBT card. I want a couple packets of cigarettes, and I need these lotto tickets. Now, I, I don't know all the situation there, but I'm pretty sure that's not what that card's used for. <laughs> Here's gift given to you to help you get off, off your feet, and yet you'll squander it on easy money. And they'll be back into the cycle. Discontentment causes people to live above their means. Why don't you look at this? Chapter 24, verse 27. Chapter 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. What's he talking about here? Have your job lined up before you, you go and get a loan to buy a house. <laughs> Things like that. I already see it. It's, it's tax season. And already there's, there's companies that say, hey, um, we'll just give you a front on your tax return so that you can buy more stuff. Well, why don't you have that check in hand before you go and spend it? You can't wait like a couple weeks. But yet, discontentment breeds that. We get a little extra money than we anticipated, and we're spending it before it even gets to the bank account. So secure your work 
and your steady income before you take on other financial burdens. Living off credit cards. I, I, was, I was looking just stats. In Indiana, the average household debt on credit cards alone was just shy of $10,000. And that's some of you. When I meet with a couple for marriage counseling, one of the first questions I ask, how much debt are you in? I've only had one say they're not in debt. And the lowest it's been is $10,000. And they wonder why there's strife. It, it brings no relief. You are under a burden now. It's because... You didn't secure your steady income. You lived above your means oftentimes. Now, there's, there's extreme situations. I don't want to generalize here. But more often than not, it's because you wanted. And this credit card says you can have it now. And you didn't have the means. And it'll lead you to poverty. Discontentment will lead one to compromise their integrity. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Cause you to deceive others. Discontentment can also cause you not to save. Look in Proverbs 13. I started off talking about barn building, but that was not to suggest in any way that the Scriptures don't call us to save and, and leave an inheritance to our children. It's, it's what's your motive. Is it so that you may let rest and eat and drink merry? Or is it because you're passing on something? Proverbs 13, you can see in verse 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. What's the assumption? You're saving. You're planning. Jump to verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I'll just give a, a, a practical example on a corporate level. There's kind of a, a trend, and this can certainly, we can, churches can live in excess too. These principles can apply to how people do ministry. But there's a trend usually by people like my generation who are benefiting from the inheritance of others, who, who are like, buildings are bad, there's so much money being spent on buildings, therefore we should be giving all this money and, and doing church planting. It's kind of a false dichotomy. I'm thankful for those who saved and worked hard and the inheritance they've laid for this facility that you and I are benefiting from. Many of the people you, you don't even know. I, I didn't even know personally. Some of them I have had the privilege to. Buildings are a stewardship. Yes, they cost a lot of money. And we should be wise when we spend our money, when we, when we do those things, but... But there, there's people who, who, who were saying, you know what, I, I'm giving to the next generation and the next generation. Ensure that this church which was established you know, 60 years ago or over 60 years ago will now be able to be established and have a place to worship and minister. And oh, how, yes, those thousands of dollars that were put in, how they have multiplied in souls. The same principle applies to your family. The person who's discontent spends all their money on themselves and doesn't even think of their children. That doesn't mean that all of us are in a place that we can, we can pay for their college or that we can uh, you know, set them up so that they, they don't have to work. 
That's not most people. I wouldn't even say that's healthy. But we have an eye towards, you know what? I don't need that. I'd rather store it up for my for others, for someone later. Oak Park, here's the principle. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The one who's selfish and greedy is the one whose life ends in poverty, Proverbs says. That, that can mean in this life, your selfishness actually, for accumulation, actually results in your poverty. But it can also mean when you die, you've lived for yourself. You're the man who built up his barns, and he was a fool, and he did not know that his soul was required of him that day. And he experiences poverty for eternity. But the one who does not put their trust in riches, who gives liberally, who seeks to bless others, actually will result in riches, whether in this life or the life to come. And so it's for this reason we pray neither poverty nor riches. We want to find our satisfaction in the Lord. And we'll close with this. True contentment seeks complete dependence upon the Lord. True contentment seeks complete dependence upon the Lord. And we've really already seen this. This is why we're just going to conclude here. Proverbs tells us that money's not the goal. In fact, Proverbs gives seven things that are better than money. Seven things. And I'm going to kind of conclude this and then we'll, we'll close. The fear of the Lord is better than money. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. It's better to know the Lord than to have riches. Proverbs 17, 1. Love and companionship is better. Better is a dry morsel with, a, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Righteousness, Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Wisdom is better than riches. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Again, Proverbs 16, 19. A lowly spirit, humility is better. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Integrity. Proverbs 19.1 Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And lastly, a good name. Honor. Proverbs 22.1 a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. So Proverbs puts things in perspective, don't they? There are things better than money. It doesn't mean that money is inherently evil. It does not mean that money is bad. Actually, it, every good thing comes from our heaven. Father, it's, it's if, it, if we view it in the right perspective. And so if you don't hear anything, just, just hear this. Our view of possessions is, relates with our view of God and others. If we love our possessions, 
We will not love God and we will not love our fellow man. But if we love our Father, our, our, our Lord, and we rightly love one another, oh, we'll have our possessions and we'll use them as, as means to express that love. And we'll multiply ministry, we'll love our families, we'll serve, we'll meet each other's needs. And what Jesus said will happen. The world will know that you are my disciples when they see your love for one another. And they will glorify my Father in heaven. That's, my, that's our prayer for this church. Lord, give us neither poverty nor riches. But may we have contentment, our joy and our satisfaction be in you. It is oh so evident that those who are pursuing riches may see that there are things better here. There are things better. Let's pray and we'll sing a closing song. Dear Lord, your word is pointed. And oh Lord, we, we, we only covered an aerial view, a bird's eye view of what your word says about riches and possessions. And Lord, I, I pray that we would take these things to heart. And Lord, that truly our heart's desire was that you would be, as we sang earlier, the lover of our soul. And that we would say, I want to live for you. No matter what you give, Lord, just meet my needs. With food and shelter, with these things, we shall be content. May that be our heart so that when we, we receive, oh, we're eager to bless. And bless so that people may have a taste of your goodness in Christ your Son. Lord, that's our prayer. And I pray that that will be our heart as we now stand and sing and continue to worship you. Amen. Let's stand.